That's Lebanese composer and oud master Marcel Khalife with the musical evocation of medieval Moorish Spain, Al-Andalus. Hello, Georges Collinet with you on Afropop Worldwide from PRX. This week's Hip Deep Edition, the musical legacy of Al-Andalus, part two, North Africa and beyond. The memory of Al-Andalus is strong in this part of the world. When Marcel Khalife created his Concerto Al-Andalus, a composition for oud and orchestra, it was a way to channel a lifetime of passionate musings about the lost paradise of Moorish Spain. But it was only in 2002, after the concerto was finished and recorded, that Marcel visited the Andalusian city that had inspired him, Granada. <laughs> Marcel was afraid that no reality could ever match the beauty and mystery of the Granada of his imagination. When he awoke on his first morning there, he was overwhelmed with a sense of belonging, as if he had known this gorgeous city in another life. Marcel Khalife's concerto does not try to recreate the music of Al-Andalus. It's a modern classical work combining European and Arabic aesthetics. But just across the Strait of Gibraltar from Spain in Tangiers, Morocco, they've been playing Andalusian music continuously for more than 12 centuries. On this program, we'll explore the ways that musicians in Morocco, Algeria and as far east as Syria preserve and honor the memory of Al-Andalus. We'll hear from musicians and scholars, including our friend Dwight Reynolds, professor at the University of California in Santa Barbara. So, let's start with an excerpt from an Andalusian suite, or Nuba, performed by the Omar Michoui Ensemble of Tangiers.
Andalusian music from Morocco with the Omar Mechoui Ensemble of Tangiers on Afropop Worldwide's Hip Deep, our return to the musical legacy of Al-Andalus. Georges Collinet with you. going to concentrate on Morocco in this program because it has the most intense and varied historical relationship with Moorish Spain. The first Arabs went to the Iberian Peninsula from Morocco in 711. The official land of Al-Andalus came almost eight centuries later, in 1492. That's when Ferdinand and Isabella took control of Granada, expelling the Jews and ending Muslim rule there. But cities in Al-Andalus had been falling to Christian conquerors for centuries before that, and many Andalusis had left on their own, moving especially to cities in northern Morocco, Fez, Tetuan, and Sani. Andalusian music scholar Dwight Reynolds. The waves of people leaving the Iberian Peninsula went at many different times in many different directions. For example, we know of waves of people that left already in the 11th and 12th and 13th centuries with the fall of the great cities of Toledo and Cordoba and Sevilla. Uh, in fact, that might have been the largest wave of people that came directly from Iberia to the city of Fez. One of the largest quarters in the old city of Fez is actually the quarter of the Andalusis. In June 2004, Afropop Worldwide visited Fez to attend the World Sacred Music Festival. We'll be hearing lots of music from that trip on upcoming programs. The old city of Fez still feels like a medieval place, with artisans sewing, painting, carving, polishing, laying tiles, curing leather, and pounding out copper bowls. This is a place where Andalusian culture does not have to be revived. It never went away. These are very closely related regions. That, that crossing the, the Straits of Gibraltar, that eight-mile stretch of water, was done quite commonly. So in some sense, once Andalusian music begins to take on a special character of its own, that music arrived in Morocco almost immediately and has been in Morocco ever since. So we have to think of a, the Moroccan tradition of Andalusian music as being layered with different historical layers of new influences coming in over ever since it, uh, Andalusian music first began. Although this repertoire was passed on, transmitted orally with great care, until very recently, there was never a sense that it was a dead tradition with a closed repertory that you could not add to and that you should only preserve and not touch. Very recently, in this case, means about a hundred years ago. That's when Morocco's Andalusian musicians began to rely on an 18th century songbook called the Kunesh, written by a man named Al-Haik, Dwight Reynolds. Andalusian music throughout North Africa is organized into these very large, sweet-like forms called nuba. The overall impact of listening to a full performance of a nuba would be from moving to very slow, highly melismatic vocal pieces through to much faster-moving, uh, sort of foot-tapping, uh, driving rhythms, danceable music at the very end. And one of the most remarkable differences between each of the different local versions of Andalusian music in Morocco, Algeria, and Tunisia, and Libya is precisely 
the way in which Anuba does or does not still exist in that tradition. In Morocco, Al-Hag's songbook collected some 900 pieces organized into 11 nubas. Over time, musicians came to rely more and more on Al-Hag, always following the order of the songs in his collection, the Kunash. But since Al-Hag had tried to include the entire repertory in his book, this made each nuba so long that it would take seven or eight hours to perform. In Morocco today, concerts of Andalusian music usually present just one movement or even half a movement. Songs can be left out, but the order is always the same. Another scholar of Andalusian music, Jonathan Shannon, currently working in Morocco, points out that when Alheg wrote his kunash, he didn't call the music Andalusian. He usually called it by its older name, Al-Ala, the instrument. The word Andalusian doesn't figure into any aspects of the book. So I thought this was interesting. I researched it a little bit more, and a number of Moroccan authors have also suggested that this term Andalusian only came to be applied to the music during the colonial period. Um, according to one author, uh, as a way of diminishing its Arab nature and to diminish the possibility that the Arabs could have created something of great civilizational importance like this music, which is highly valued by certain classes here in Morocco today. In our recent visit to Morocco, we met Mohamed Brioel, director of the Orchestra of Fez. We asked him how he thought Andalusian music has changed over the years. Quelques modulations, mais c'est de, de perfectionner. Moi, j'ai écouté, par exemple, l'instrument de vers 1927, la même mélodie. Mohamed Bouyouel says there have been changes, but only to perfect the music. He says if you listen to a recording of a nuba from 1927 and then listen to his group performing that nuba today, you'll hear the same melodies, but the playing and singing will be much improved. Now remember, for Dwight Reynolds, 1927 is still very recently, the time when Moroccan musicians could add to and rearrange the contents of a nuba is all but forgotten today. Let's hear an excerpt from a nuba performed by the Orchestra of Fez under the direction of Mohamed Brioel. The featured singer is Abderrahim Souiri.
Andalusian music in all of the different regional traditions. There's a fascinating juxtaposition or movement back and forth between instrumental sections and choral vocal sections, and then moments where individual vocal soloists essentially improvise, but within a traditional framework, using just one or two verses of poetry. Dwight Reynolds, offering insight into a performance of an Andalusian nuba by the Orchestra of Fez, Morocco. idea is that the singer takes these one or two verses of poetry and just does everything vocally possible, every decorative technique, every beautiful thing with their voice and, and timbre that they can uh, to, to breathe beauty into this, this incredible moment of improvisation. Another interesting thing about Andalusian music in Morocco, Ela, is that it's tied very closely to a social group within Morocco, and that is people who consider themselves to be Andalusians, or we might say the descendants of the Andalusian uh, uh, immigrants from, from the Iberian Peninsula. Um, this identity does not exist in Algeria or Tunisia. One Moroccan who calls himself an Andalusian is Tariq Banzi of the group Al-Andalus. My name is Tariq Banzi. I was born in Tetuan, northern Morocco, and Tetuan was built by the Moors, the Arabs, who lived in Spain, in Al-Andalus. Tariq's family descended from Moriscos. Those are Muslims who converted to Christianity in Spain only to be expelled in the early 1600s. 
Today, these families have long since returned to Islam, but you can still recognize them by their last names. Diaz, Torres, Medina, Molina, Boras, Locas, and Martin. We feel in Tetuan like we're half from there and half from here, you know what I mean? Like we have our foot there in Europe, in Spain, you know, in Andalus, and other foot is in Morocco, you know. The Andalusians in Tetuan, and I'm sure in Fez also, they feel different because they, they are different. They brought different culture and they, and they conserved it more or less the way it was. Tariq Bansi also had music in his family. His mother sang at Sufi ceremonies and he played oud and percussion from a young age. Tariq moved to Spain in the 1980s in part to explore the common ground between North African music and flamenco. He teamed up with and later married American flamenco guitarist Julia Bansi and together they formed Al-Andalus. Later on, the Bounces moved their experimental group to the United States. So we had two choices, either to go to Morocco or go to America. I said, no, let's go to America. Something new and, you know, thinking also about the music that in America, that's the place where we should go because that's a place, that's like Al-Andalus, that's where cultures, you know, are together. America has everything you want, you know, people from all over the world. And that's what makes it an exciting place and a rich place culturally. These days, the Banzis live in Tangiers, Morocco. We caught up with Al-Andalus preparing for an exclusive concert at the Jordanian Embassy in Washington, D.C. Let's listen in as they rehearse an Arabo-Andalusian song called Shamsu al-Ashiya, or The Sun at Dusk. <laughs> Oh, 
an excerpt from a CD by a religious group from Tetuan, Morocco, called Tarika Arikiya. Tarika means a way, and it refers to one of many Sufi orders in Morocco. This group's use of Andalusian instrumentation, violins, oud, kanun, and classical hand percussion, is evidence of a strong historical tie between Al-Andalus and Sufi Islam. I'm Georges Collinet, and you're listening to Afropop Worldwide from PRX. One reason Andalusian music remains so strong in Morocco is that the French colonial government and all post-independence governments have promoted it. You hear it in high society weddings, national ceremonies and on state television. It has also influenced folk traditions. For instance, one of our great discoveries at the 2004 World Sacred Music Festival in Fez was an elderly musician from the mountainous Jebel region near Tangiers. 
Listen to Mohamed Gorfti and his group performing in a free public concert at the festival. Well, I'm telling you, these guys had fez on its feet. Afterwards, we asked Gorfti to tell us about his mountain boogie sound. We thought it might be some kind of Berber music, so we asked him. No, no, no influence. Gorfti says his sound is 100% Andalusian. There's no question that Andalusian music runs deep in today's Moroccan culture. From highbrow orchestras to Sufi tarikas to folk ensembles. At the same time, young musicians tend to see it as a bit stuffy and set in its ways. Dwight Reynolds says that if you want to shake up the world musically in Morocco, you probably won't choose to play in an Andalusian group. It's not that no young Moroccans participate in this. There definitely are people who, who study this tradition for years and become adept performers. But I think the only way that could it really break out of the current mold, and a handful of people are doing it, would, would mean that you would have to change the tradition a great degree, either by taking words and or the music and performing it on completely different instruments or in a different style. Um, there is, interestingly enough, a second type of music which is closely related to Ala, to Andalusian music, which is rather popular in Morocco. And this is called Malhoun. As we'll see in a moment, Andalusian music has met a very different fate next door in Algeria. By the way, to read our complete interview with Dwight Reynolds, visit our website, afropop.org. Let's leave Morocco now with a taste of Malhoun from a young singer named Sana Mirhati. This is popular music with danceable rhythms and catchy tunes sung in Moroccan dialect, not classical Arabic, but still rich with echoes of Al-Andalus. I'm not afraid to 
Contemporary Malhun pop music from Morocco on Afropop Worldwide's Hip Deep, the legacy of Al-Andalus in North Africa. Andalusians fleeing wars and expulsions in Europe found welcoming communities in Morocco, but next door in Algeria and Tunisia, it was another story. For these countries, the largest waves of Andalusian refugees came in the early 17th century, when Muslim converts to Christianity, the Moriscos, were finally expelled from Spain. For the Moriscos, Muslim North Africa didn't exactly feel like home. By the time the expulsion orders of 1609 and 1610 and 1624 come along, we're talking about people who might be second, third, or even fourth generation removed from the Arabic-speaking forebears. And so, especially in Valencia and Aragon, up in the north, that had been Spanish-speaking for quite a long time, these people might have been completely uh, sincere converts to Christianity who knew not a word of Arabic, but were then expelled, and they fled primarily to Algeria and to Tunisia. And in some cases, they met with rather rough fates because people in those countries, of course, did not accept them. The Spanish had footholds. They had forts and small colonies on the coast. And so they would literally bring these people over in ships and dump them and force them out of the city walls of these Spanish ports. Um, and from, the, from the, the point of view of the Muslims who lived in North Africa, here were just these thousands of people that were being essentially thrown into their countryside. Um, and with the strange argument that somehow, because they four generations ago had been Muslims, that they were somehow related to the people of Algeria. Andalusians did ultimately make a lasting mark on Algerian society. They never formed a distinct social class as in Morocco, but their story and their music, known here as Sana, has survived. Listen to Nasima, a singer from Algiers, singing an insiraf. That's a movement near the end of a classical Algerian nuba. Magnificent voice. Nasima is singing, My little bird with its hidden charm does not accept tyranny of any sort. A stroke of its wings and it's off and away, abandoning our deserted homes. Hmm. Nasima herself chooses to live in Paris these days. In recent years, Andalusian music in Algeria has come under fierce attack from religious conservatives opposed to its celebration of love, tryst, and wine drinking. Hmm. Dwight Reynolds says... Things weren't much better for these musicians under the French. The French ruled over Algeria for a much longer period than they did in Morocco or Tunisia. 
They arrived in 1830. They did not leave until 1962, 132 years. And the French approach to their domination of Algeria was to outlaw the use of Arabic in schools. They outlawed many aspects of Arab culture. Um, and in some re very real sense, the French did not conceive of Algeria as a colony. They annexed Algeria to France. So, whereas in Morocco, we can see actually is an almost a patronage that comes from the French colonial government for the encouragement of Andalusian music in Morocco. In Algeria, at different points in time, the French literally tried to suppress and kill off the tradition and to outlaw its public performance. This meant that for people uh, in Tlemcen, it became an act of resistance to French colonial control, saying you are not going to kill off this tradition. In Algeria, the songs in Anuba don't follow a set order as in Morocco. If you go to a performance of Anuba in, say, Tlemcen, you'll hear all five movements, but what's in those movements is up to the maestro of the performance, known as the sheikh. If it's the professional musicians who really know the tradition, the sheikh essentially chooses what comes next. So you start with the first movement, which is the msadr, which is a very stately, slow, elegant rhythm. It's typically sung in a highly melismatic style that is using one syllable over many, many notes. Highly decorated style. And if the Sheikh wants to move on from the Msadr, which is the first movement, on to the second movement, which is the Batayhi, he will just begin performing the Batayhi or, or signal to the percussionist and they will move on. But he might instead choose to perform another song in the Msadr movement. Or if the audience gives very strong reactions, he might choose even a third song in the Msadr movement before moving on to the Batayhi. Uh, the Batahi rhythm is a little bit faster, a little bit shorter, done with a little bit less decoration and melisma. And the musicians and the vocalists sort of constantly follow the Sheikh in this performance. Here's a short, sweet taste from the Nuba Sika performed by the Esundusia Ensemble from Tlemcen. Thank you. 
Sundusia Ensemble from Tlemcen, Algeria. Coming up, Syria on Afropop Worldwide's look at Andalusian music in North Africa and the Middle East. Funding for Afropop Worldwide comes from the National Endowment for the Arts, which believes a great nation deserves great art and PRX affiliate stations around the U.S. And now, more than ever, thank you for supporting your public radio station. from Morocco and Sana from Algeria. Moving east, we find more Andalusian music in Tunisia, where they call it Malouf, and also in Libya. In Egypt, Andalusian songs fell from favor in the 20th century as musical giants like Um Kalthoum shifted the focus to a more local repertoire. But further east in Syria, far from the old centers of Cordoba, Sevilla, and Granada, Andalusian music lives on and remains very popular today. That's a fitting thing. As we mentioned in our first program about Al-Andalus, 
The earliest and most influential rulers there came from the Umayyad dynasty of Damascus, Syria, way back in the 8th century. For Syrians, the Andalusian connection runs deep, especially in the musical city of Aleppo. On past programs, we've introduced you to Saba Fakri, Aleppo's and Syria's greatest living singer, famous for his knowledge of Andalusian and many, many other forms. Now we want you to meet another giant of Aleppo's Andalusian music, Sabri Mudalal. Both these singers studied under the late Omar Bach, the greatest composer of Syrian Andalusian music in the 20th century. Here's Sabri Mudalal singing an Omar Bach Muwasha with the Al Kindi Ensemble. This comes from a beautiful double CD called the Aleppian Music Room. Jonathan Shannon specializes in the music of Syria. We met him in an Andalusian garden in Fez, Morocco, where he's been doing research. Jonathan told us that throughout the 8th century history of Moorish Spain, people left Syria, made the long voyage across North Africa to Al-Andalus, and returned. This notion of traveling and coming back home is a very interesting and very common understanding of the relationship between Syria and Al-Andalus. To some degree, Al-Andalus was an extension of Syrian and Arab culture for them, and Muslim culture. And with its fall, many of these elements of Arab culture that found development in Al-Andalus returned back home to Syria. Now, Moroccan artists and scholars would deny this probably entirely, but when Syrians hear Andalusian music, they hear their own music in it. Even though today, if I were to play you a recording of the Moshahat as performed by Sabri Mudallel or Sabah Fekhri in Aleppo, next to a recording of even the same text performed in Morocco, they would sound entirely different because the tonality and rhythmic structure of the musics are very different. Syria's Andalusian music has evolved under the influence of Persian and Ottoman or Turkish culture. The scholars we spoke with all agreed that it is probably further from the actual music of Al-Andalus than any of the existing forms in North Africa, but just the same. Recordings of Andalusian music are big sellers in Syria. We'll return to Syria and to Jonathan Shannon to talk about the Andalusian Sufi connection in a future program. But now, let's hear a recording of Sabri Mudalal from 1994, when he was a mere 80 years old. Wow! Yeah. 
great Sabri Mudalal of Syria, closing out part two of our Hip Deep series on the musical legacy of Al-Andalus. We'll be back soon with part three, where we'll consider the influence of Al-Andalus on flamenco music, also Sufism, and the musical legacy of Jewish musicians who left Al-Andalus, including this guy, the great Emil Zrihan. to visit our website afropop.org to read more about the Andalusian legacy and see beautiful images related to this program. My Afropop partner is Sean Barlow. Sean produces our program for World Music Productions. Research, co-production for this program by Banning Air. Banning also edits our website afropop.org. Special thanks to program advisors Dwight Reynolds in Granada and Jonathan Shannon in Fez, Morocco. Thanks also to AJ Rassi and Tariq and Julia Banzi. Our chief engineer is Michael Jones. Additional engineering by Mike Kaplan. I'm Georges Collinet.